1: So in the next two Sundays, uh, we've got our Chapel Arts Pledge Days uh, on the 18th and 25th. Um, and so I want to talk about that. There'll be some, <clears throat> some of you that feel like you've heard lots of about this, you've even seen the little video clip that I'm going to show you. Some of you feel like, oh, I didn't even know it, it's, not, it's gone completely over my head. And some of your visitors might think, hmm, this is an exciting project, so I'd love to get behind it. Or you might think, hmm, maybe not. But that's entirely up to you. So we've got a little video clip. Uh, the I shot when we had our look around before the summer holidays, uh, and Eleanor, if you could just play that now, that'd be great. Okay, it doesn't come with all the artwork, but it might have Tom Brabby's legs, so <laughs> that might be a win for all of us. Okay, um, when, I've, uh, when we've talked to friends outside the church who lead other churches, and um, they've, they've all encouraged us to go with it, Pete Cornford, a friend of mine leads a church in London, uh, they've just spent 200000 a year renting renting a community hub. Okay, so we, that w- what he's going to spend in, 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 uh, in, one year, in, in five years, we could have bought this. Well, less than that. He said this to me. He says, you've got to go for it. Howard, how long have you been looking for a building? When is a building like this coming on the market again? And then this really resonated with me. This is not your final building. It's just your first and in one sense, we could ask ourselves, well, why are we going for this building? Because it, 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 it's, not a Sunday, it's not a Sunday venue, it's not big enough for Sundays. Even if we could all the adults could fit in now, the reality is it would, uh, we could, there's no space for kids' work. But I think this venue serves as well. You know, In one sense, I know that you, 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 we have to move flight cases and boxes, but the reality is you've got to do that wherever church you're in. Even if you own your own venue, you've got to pack things away, put them back down. This venue works really well. We've got kids' classrooms. People know where it is visitors who you probably knew where it is and found it very easily. Uh, and so in that sense, uh, you know, that, that chapel arts isn't about a Sunday med- venue. But we've always said right at the very beginning, I think the very first sermon I preached at this church to about half a dozen of us was that church is much more than Sundays. You know, and so we, even though the chapel arts is too small and the reality is a Sunday venue would be like 1.5 million it's so at least twice what the asking price of Chapel Arts is, plus it would have VAT on it, uh, which would add another 300,000. So, you know, the reality is it's beyond us. With our annual income at 200,000, it's beyond us. But what we could do in Chapel Arts is we could, uh, we could do a new Sunday evening meeting. I know that there's one or two in town, but I know that that's something that we could grow. We could grow a different congregation who'd like to lie in bed uh, maybe the students are here this morning, Jesse, maybe you could encourage them to come in the morning and the evening. Um, and also, you know, that the, this we get this this venue super cheap. You know, God's favour on us, if you know the story of this, is we get this venue super cheap. They don't rent it out to anyone else at that price. I presume that slides up, yes. And so church is more than Sundays, and I'm not going to go through all of this, but there's loads that we could do in here. All the stuff that we normally do uh, at, chap, uh, uh, at different venues by the grace of God, at St. Paul's, Roger Whittaker, and uh, renting different places. All those things that we could do, we could gather in our own place with its own kitchen. We could all the food that we do, that we bring around and do that. We could all do that there. We can do, obviously, our offices, but it's not about offices. We could do tiddlers and toddlers. Interestingly, here's, a, here's an example. We were supposed to be doing tiddlers and toddlers in partnership with the United Reformed Church, which is just on the corner here. They've rented the Tuesday morning to a dance group and told us we can't do it. And we said, well, well, we were doing it in partnership with you. And they said, yes, we were doing it in partnership, but we've rented it to a dance group. And in the end, I don't want to make more comment than that. Th- those are the facts. But the reality is, it shows us more and more that we're just are in the hands of everybody else. We're in the hands of the whims of other people's bookings and stuff like that. We could put, we want to put, I said to, I said to Christopher uh, when he was you know, trying to pull it together again, and sorry for all those that did hard work for launching this week. Um, I said, let's do it in January in, in Chapel Arts, eh? You know, so there's that, and, and, and Sarah and Family Space, thank you for all the hard work you put together on that, and we're all frustrated about that fact. We're not happy about the fact, but the fact is, it just means everywhere we go, rethink, we've got to rent somewhere. Uh, theology course, we've got to rent somewhere. We've got to re- rent somewhere. There's, it, and then I spoke to my father-in-law, who re- uh, led a church in Bracknell for 42 years, and he said you'll be amazed, Howard, at what emerges that you never even thought about. The midweek activities, the missional activities, the community and discipleship activities that, ber- that are birthed out because suddenly, instead of having to rent a building and find it and do all that, we just say, here's the keys, off we go. Uh, it, 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 it is that, about that. But actually, and as I've, I've prayed into this and thought about this, the reality is, it's not about the building. Now you might think, oh, come on, you're just talking about a building, you're going to talk about a building. It's ultimately not about the building. Um, there's a quote from Arthur Ashe, the, uh, uh, who's the first uh, uh, African-American to win, uh, win Wimbledon. He overcame incredible difficulties. He wasn't allowed to play in white tennis tournaments. He wasn't allowed in America to go to some restaurants. He was, he was basically told he wasn't wanted by the establishment. He fought his way through injustice and beat Jimmy Connors in a final. I remember watching in my teens, showing my age, and he said this, the win is not the journey. The win win is the journey. Sorry, let's get right. The Freudian slip. The win is the journey, not the destination. The doing is more important than the outcome. And it's interesting. Every church that I've... Talk to, that's engaged in this process of of believing God and pressing through and purchasing a building, they're all stronger for it. We were privileged as leaders yesterday to have Sean Green, who leads a church in Reading. Sean uh, inputs the, the leaders. And he talked about how his church had grown strong. He talked about, he used the word muscle. They'd grown muscle, faith muscle, discipleship muscle, through the process. And he said that those, engaged, those who engaged with the process did best through pandemic. Now, I'm not saying if you don't engage with this process, you won't do well. I'm not saying that, but saying that he said that, that people grew muscle. So chapel arts, then, is a catalyst for discipleship. And as I've continued to pray, we did a series uh, called Formed. And I know what happens is we do a series and you will forget about it and you go back to living normally. But we did a series called Formed about how disciples are made. And it feels like... That series came to an end. We did a series in Psalms through the summer, but that series came to an end, and now it feels like God's given us a, a practical test for how we work through our discipleship. A a practical test about how we become deeper in faith, how we become more faithful, more radical disciples of Jesus. And this is a practical way you can do that. Now, I know it's not the only way we can do that. Suffering sometimes is a practical way that you can grow in Jesus. Sometimes other things can be a practical way, and serving and working with the poor can be a practical way that you grow in discipleship of Jesus. But everybody I've spoken to says this is a way That we can grow in faith as disciples. So just understand where we are. Do you get that? That the journey is important. We want the venue, but the journey is important. And I'll say later that we don't want to shortcut this uh, journey. So I want to bring you some, because we're a Bible church, and I I want to bring you some lessons from Abraham's faith journey. Turn to the person next to you and say who Abraham was. If you don't know, then I'll answer the question for you. Who's Abraham? So Abraham in the Bible, he's like the first character. The place the world's gone wrong. God says, no, we're going to bring another solution. God appears to Abraham. Well, he's in basically what is, you know, the the the, along the side of the Euphrates, current day, Iraq, Mesopotamia. God appears to him and speaks to him. And I want to pick out what God does with Abraham and how we can learn to do that. Are you good for that? Okay, so, so uh, the first lesson I'm going to say is faith is a confident adventure. The thing I, uh, Sean said yesterday, and I thought it was interesting, he said, the difference between a walk in the park and an adventure is that an adventure has a certain amount of jeopardy. And I thought, yeah, I like that, I really like that. You know, the difference in a walk in the, you know, I mean, if you walk in a park in Manchester, forgive me, there is a bit of jeopardy <laughs> in Manchester. And we did have that, we didn't we? But when you walk in a park in Cheltenham, you, generally there's not much jeopardy. But actually, you know, jeopardy is quite a good thing. My, my family, we, we, as you know, we're not very good at keeping the rules. And we used to go to this place. There's a picture of a river, actually, I've got on the right here. That river is in Yorkshire, and it's called the Strid, which literally means the stride. And it is about a stride. Now, I, I googled this picture last night... I actually got it from the Daily Star website. Don't recommend going there. But the Daily Star website, and it said, this is the most dangerous river on earth. (laughs) This bit here. Because what happens is a river about as wide as the PAC flows through about uh, the the gap of a stride. And the reality is everybody that misses this jump dies. That's what it was saying. Now, I didn't realise that, because I've jumped it quite a few times. (laughs) And my mum has encouraged me when, she, when we were kids, just jump it. And so I like a bold step. And you might think, Howard, you're foolish. And I am. But I like a bold step. And But actually, I think that a bold step's good. Do, uh, Prime Minister David Lloyd-George, uh, who did not meet uh, the present queen, said this. Don't be afraid to take a big step if one is indicated. In other words, a small. Uh, <laughs> you can't jump a chasm in two small jumps. And it feels like... That, Chapel arts is a big step. It is doable. It is doable. You can make it, but everybody, you know, we might not make it. I don't think we'll die as a church. I mean, those Sean, as he told us the story about his church, he's ups and downs. He says they've learned resilience and maturity in faith. So if we don't get it, we're going to learn some stuff. I don't think we're going to die. We're going to work really hard to make sure the sums add up and we don't die. Uh, but, but how does that work from... No, seriously. We want to be wise. We want to be still here. Uh, we don't want to be chapel arts. We don't want to be a, 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 a church with a building and no church, do we? You know, there's too many of them around, isn't there? There's too many churches that are a building and no church. We want to be a church that is the church that has a building. The building's not the church. You get that, don't you? Good. Well, then the Ecclesiology is good. Okay, so let's look at Abraham. Abram's adventure. This is how it's, uh, how it's commented in Hebrews. It says, by faith... Abraham obeyed God and when he's called to go out to a place that he would later receive as an inheritance and he went out I love this not knowing where he was going that sounds like an adventure doesn't it it sounds like an adventure it wasn't all sealed down locked down he says leave your home leave your family travel around the fertile crescent i'm going to show you this place called Canaan you don't even know where it is and he said god i'm going i'm going And he lived, as he says, by faith, he went to live in the land of promise as a stranger in a foreign land, living in tents. He moved around from place to place. And you could say, well, that's every reason why God first should continue to rent venue after venue, place after place, living in tents. And we've lived in tents for 12 years. We haven't had a place. And that's okay. Abraham never had a place. But actually, I feel that that there's, there's, there's something about... Bricks and mortar. You know that we'll talk about it next week, actually, when we talk about Acts and Pentecost, about the temple and stuff like that. There's something about bricks and mortar that, that creates legacy. Legacy is in people's lives. Don't get me wrong, legacy is in people's lives. I've had, over the years I've done this ministry, people have said to me, you know, oh, what you did there, or what you spoke to us in Manchester, or what you did in, in, in London has really impacted my life. And that's legacy, but also bricks and mortar are legacy. The Baptist chapel, that's chapel art, was originally more, nothing more than a hut. It was built in 1701 by poor agriculture workers in the fields outside the small town of Cheltenham. Cheltenham was about 1,500 people at the time. And agriculture workers who been in, impacted by the gospel gathered together their money and built a little hut. And that hut was their home. It, uh, they grew. as their first building. It wasn't their last building because 100 years later, uh, the current building that we're going to buy, we are going to buy by faith as a church, uh, the, the church grew, and the town grew. You know that by 1701, the spa waters w- weren't found. 20 years later, spa waters, etc. You, you can look up the, the history of Cheltenham. Cheltenham's growing, and the church is growing. 1951, though, as I said, the building had no church. A, a building, but no church, and it closed. The Mormons and Christadelphians used it. I won't make comment about Mormons and Christadelphians, but I don't think they're gospel-centred people, and then in 2017, it was beautifully refurbished as an art centre. Most church buildings that have died and closed, and and Graham's nodding because he knows this in Gloucester, you have to do it up. They've gone into rack and ruin, you've got to spend hundreds of thousands to do them up. Thankfully, a nice man called Ian James has done it up for us. I've got to know Ian over this story. And that's a journey. Those people, those agricultural workers in 1701 that put their little bit of money in, and those people in 17, 1820, that put their little bit of money in, they left a legacy. It probably was risky. It probably cost them. They probably didn't have the funding to build the big churches like we see, like St. Matthew's or St. Gregory's. They were non-conformists like us in that sense, funding themselves. But their legacy is still here, isn't it? And we want to reclaim that legacy for the gospel. I'm not against arts. I'm not in favor of Mormons or Christadelphians. But I'm not against arts. But I want to reclaim this for the gospel. And I want this to be uh, not our first, not our uh, last building, but our first. So faith's a journey. It's a confident journey. Second is faith is a gift from God. It says in Acts 7, we'll talk about this in our series in a few weeks' time. This is, this is Stephen who telling the story of Israel before he's stoned to death it says the glory of god appeared to our father abram while he's still in mesopotamia god said leave your country and your people and go to the land i'll show you god promised him that him that he and his offspring after him would possess the land even though at that time abram had no child we'll come back to that but what's interesting is abram didn't think up faith from his boots He wasn't thinking, how can I become the father of many nations? How can I be blessed to bless all nations? How can my offspring uh, be the, 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 it's Jesus, how can my offspring bless all nations? He wasn't thinking about that, he was a pagan. God appeared to him. The glory of God appeared to him and gave him faith. Faith comes from above. You don't think it up, and I've decided to believe. Sorry, but it comes from below. That's how you've got, if you're a Christian now, that's how you've got faith. Maybe the glory of God didn't appear to you, but the glory of the gospel appeared to you, and you've got faith, and that's why you believe. And faith is a gift from God. And we need to say, God, pour faith on us. Lord. The the blind guy says, you know, God, I believe, help my unbelief. It's not the two are in contrast. It's like yeah, there's unbelief and belief. We but we say, God help my help my unbelief. God, I believe. Abraham had some moments. Genesis fifteen. Abraham is having a moment. He's saying we can't do it. It can't be done. What you've promised isn't going to happen. He says, "This sovereign Lord." I love the way he just says to God, "I'm done." Basically. Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless? The whole of Abraham's life was he's going to have a kid and he's saying, hey, we've been going at this for 10 years and we haven't had a child. And the one who will inherit me my estate is Eliezer of Damascus. In other words, some randomer that I don't know is going to take my legacy. And says, the word of the Lord came to him. And he te- he's obviously in the tent. Abraham's in the tent. And you know, sometimes you can get in the tent, you can get in the small thinking of a small tent, and you can worry with God. You know, maybe in your quiet times, in your room, you can worry with God. God, what about this? What about this? And you're in the small tent, and God, it says, took him. It says, the word of the Lord. Who's that? Jesus. Ooh, maybe Jesus is in here. The word of the Lord came to him and took him outside and said, Look towards the heavens and number the stars, if you able to number them. And he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And Abraham said, it cannot be done, it's not possible, I don't believe you, forget it. Abraham believed God and, ca- and he counted it, God counted it as righteous. Sometimes God needs to take us by the hand, and, and I can't do that in this talk, God can do it, take us by the hand and say, let's look outside. It was lovely when we were in France, camping as we do, you can feel a certain amount of my pain, but I do enjoy camping, uh, and uh, we looked outside, At the, you, you go away from all the, Streetlights and you just look outside and it's just magnificent, isn't it? And just and you know, we don't get that, do we? I've said this before. You just see how it makes you think, God, you're great. God, you're great. You can do it. You're bigger than my small tent thinking. And so God pours faith into Abraham, and I believe he wants to take us by the hand, God, first, and have us look up beyond our circumstances and say, God, You can. Next thing, face, this is my, can somebody say it for me? Faith faces the facts. Too many F's in there for me. (laughs) Granville. Remember that? No, sorry, that's my mind, isn't it, Tristan? My mind going off to open all hours and Rodney Barker. Yeah, faith faces the facts. Okay, and we've got this funny idea about faith. We think faith is kind of some sort of sense of throw reason in the bin. That faith is this kind of ethereal, we just believe for any old thing. You know, it's just cross your heart, and hope, to cross your fingers, cross your heart. It's just kind of that, and it's nothing to do with reason and reality. Uh, Prize-winning, Nobel Prize-winning scientist Francis uh, Collins, who was involved in um, uh, decoding DNA, and he won a Nobel Prize for that. He says, faith and reason... Faith and reason are not, as many seem to be arguing today, mutually exclusive. They never have been. It's okay to face the facts, to do the spreadsheets, to have the trustees meetings, to work that through and still believe God. We don't just say, oh, the numbers are crazy and whatever, but we will look at the numbers and say, that's a stretch. Not foolishly. You know, if if the income of this church was a pound, we'd be daft. To, to try and buy the chapel arts. But the income of this church means, no, it's a stretch, can we do it? Does it work out? Yeah, there's some stuff. We've got to believe God. We've got to, but you, you, so you face the facts and believe God. In fact, here we find this in Abraham's life, at Romans 4, this is Paul's commentary on Abraham. Abraham believed God who gives life to the dead and call things into existence that do not exist. In other words, God is in a different game to us. We can only make things happen out of what we've got. God can make things happen out of that doesn't exist, this universe. So God is in a different scale, isn't He? Not only does He raise the dead, He, he creates things that are nothing. So therefore, it says, against all hope, Abraham could not have a kid. Against all hope, Abraham in hope believed. And so. Became the father of many nations. That was his journey, and so became. He faced the fact that his own body was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old, and that Sarah, his wife's womb, was also dead. He did not waver in unbelief, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he promised. I love the fact that he faced the facts and believed God. Faith is not a denial of the facts. You know, if somebody prays for... If you've got cancer and somebody prays for you and then says, believe that you're healed, a scan at the doctors will tell you you're healed. right? Yeah? You're struggling at this point. You you agree? If you're healed, the cancer will be gone and you go to the doctors and it'll be fine. That's why Jesus says, go show yourself to the priest. You don't continue with the cancer and say, yeah, I'm healed, it's okay, I'm healed, I'm healed, I'm healed, I'm healed. There is a sense where you you sometimes have to wait... But the reality is, it's not a denial of facts. It's not a denial of facts. Faith is not a denial of facts. It's it's an admission of one big fact, that God is king. That he's the dead raiser. That he's the one who calls things out of nothing. That he says to cancer's done. That he says to a church that can't afford it, you can. And so the thing about reason is it, it can make us pull back But it says, Abram did not waver in unbelief, but was strengthening his faith. The very fact that there were challenges made him feel like, okay, I'm going to believe God. I'm going to press through. But sometimes faith uh, challenges can make us think, right, okay, well, we can do it without God. We can do it without God. So Abram's story is that actually he did. He sort of thought, "Okay, I'm going to believe you," and then he took the whole thing into his own hands. What he did was he um, basically slept with Sarah's slave girl, servant girl, and had a kid called Ishmael. And God, and and then obviously Abraham must have said to Ishmael, uh, to God, "Well, here it is. Here's the solution. I needed a kid to fulfil your promise. Here's the solution." But actually, it wasn't the solution because it needed God involved. It needed a miracle in Sarah's womb to make it a God thing. So the reality is, in, in one sense, if we could just do this without God, it might be an Ishmael. We need an level of faith. Reason can make us pull back from where God is leading because it seems unreasonable. But also, it reason, we can reason our own way and illegitimately fulfil God's purpose. It was interesting um, this week, I was in a meeting uh, with uh, the leaders of the town churches in Cheltenham and we love those and um, you know, I've got lots of time and, uh, and, and relationship with them. And, I'm, I, I, and we go around the room and saying, what are you believing for? What's happening? So I'm, I'm third in the room and I say, hey, we're believing for, we're believing for chapel arts. And the guy next to me, I won't say which church, he's a lovely guy, he said, oh, we're going for chapel arts as well. And I went, I tried to be calm and collegiate and full of faith. And I, I thought, so I said to him, you've already got two buildings, you don't need three. <laughs> he smiled at me nicely, and said, don't worry Howard, I've rung up and it's sold. So I'm like you. Whoa. I'm trying to keep smiling and we go around and pray for everybody and I pray nicely. As soon as the meeting finishes, I get out, go on the phone, bring the agent up. Is Chapel Arts sold? Uh, the um, receptionist says, not as far as I'm aware. So I think, mm, maybe she doesn't know, maybe it is sold. I'm driving past, I'm going home, go past Chapel Arts. Ian's car, the, the owner, is there. I think, that's the grace of God. <whistles> Pull in. Hi, Ian. Hi, Al Howard. things? How's things? How's things? I said, I hear you've sold the building. He said, no, the agent has said there's an offer on the building, but it hasn't been put to me. So I said, please don't take it, will you? <laughs> I said, because I want this building for, for the church. And we had a little chat, da 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 da, da. And he said to me, Howard, he said, um, if people want to turn it into a house or a, or a block of flats or an office, I don't want to do that. I want to keep it in community use. And I said, I want to keep it in community use. So we had a little bit further chat and he, as I went out, he said, chin up, Howard. And I said, well, it'll help if you don't take the offer. <laughs> I rang the agent and he said, there's been an offer, we haven't put it to the guy. I said to him, please ring me. Please ring me if there's another offer. I said, because I'm going to stand in front of the church and I'm going to look foolish if it's already sold. I rang Sean... I texted some of you guys to pray and I rang Sean. And Sean's first text back said, Howard, you don't want an Ishmael. What does that mean? If God isn't giving us this, we don't want it. If there's not God's fingerprints on this, we don't want it. If there's not a sense where we made an offer, or somebody else made an offer, but it was declined because it was for us, we don't want it. We just don't want to do it by our own strength and our own hand, do we? We want to say, actually, we want it because God's given it to us, not because Ian's given it to us or you're giving it to us. We want God's fingerprints on it. It's interesting, as we've pushed through that, some of the fingerprints, I've talked to you about fingerprints before. There's no planning permission needed for this. Ian said, if somebody wants to make it into uh, uh, houses... Or offices, they'll need planning permission. I said, Ian, we won't need planning permission. He said, I know. <laughs> and Sean was talking to me the other week, and he said, Is there any VAT to pay on this building? And I went, What do you mean VAT? What's what, VAT? Why, do, why do, you, do you have to pay VAT? So I'm not very good at this. I'm trying my best. I'm learning, getting advice. And he said, Yeah, if it's a commercial building, you have to pay VAT. So he said, If it's seven hundred fifty thousand, you have to pay one hundred fifty thousand VAT. So I think, well if that's 150,000 VAT, we're done. Right there. I hadn't thought about it, I didn't know. Sean asked me the question. I looked on the, on the document from the agent. No VAT. This is not registered for VAT. That's brilliant. If we go, order, bought a warehouse in town as a Sunday venue, you'd have to pay 300,000 VAT. No VAT on this. Feels like God's fingerprints. Uh, what about some others that I just wrote last night? No other offers accepted. In other words, he texts our offer. We raise the deposit in faith. That's what we're talking about. And our offer's accepted. Let's have God's fingerprints on this. If God's fingerprints are not on this, I, um, I thought, well, you know, if they, somebody else goes for planning, should I oppose them at the council? Should I write to the person who, and I thought, no. God's, God, God's doing this. Let's trust him. Thank you. Say that again. It's good, Howard. Yeah, all right, okay. Then we, we come to the and done... Well, I don't know how long I've taken, but yeah, it's all important stuff. Tom's going to get up in a minute. Okay, last point from me. Faith is sacrificial. Faith is sacrificial. Hebrews 11 again. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested in the act of offering up his only son, Abraham believed that if Isaac died, God was able to bring him back to life again. And in a sense, Abraham did receive his son back from the dead. If you don't know the story, God asks Abraham remarkably, he says, Take your son. You know, he's waiting for this son. He's waiting for this son. He's had an Ishmael. Suddenly, there's an Isaac born. This is the son of promise. Sarah's womb's open. It's a miracle. It's a miracle. And then God says, Okay, the, the kid's grown up. Maybe he's like 10, 12, 30, 40, 50. He says, Right, take this. Take Isaac and go to the mountain, Mount Moriah, and, and sacrifice your son. Now, you think, Well,. That's crazy. Does God want child sacrifice? No. Everybody around in the nations around was into child sacrifice. God wasn't after child sacrifice. But there was something else going on. There was something else going on. You might disagree with me on this. If you do, fine. I believe Abraham saw the gospel. He saw the gospel. The word of God has already appeared to remember And when he called him. He saw the gospel. In fact, it says in the gospel, it says, uh, Abraham saw my day... Singular, and rejoiced. I believe that Abraham saw the gospel. So here's the test, Abraham. Do you believe the gospel? Right. Go and sacrifice your own son as a picture of the gospel. And Abraham says, "I do believe the gospel. I do believe that if my son dies, he'll be risen, risen from the dead." So when they're going along, when they're going along, the, the, the Isaac, old enough to ask a question, says, "Dad, they're not." The wood's here, the fire's here, the knife's here, but where's the sacrifice? Where's the lamb? And he says, God himself will provide a sacrifice. And they go up, and you know the story, It's Abraham's ready, the knife is raised over Isaac because he believes the gospel. He understands that faith requires sacrifice, and he's willing to go there. And then in that moment, Jesus says to him, the word of the Lord, the angel of the Lord says to him, don't raise your hand against the boy. He says he found a lamb caught in the thicket. And he says, finishes the chapter 22, says, on the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. Quiz question, we had it yesterday at the Leaders' Day. Um, What mountain is Mount Moriah? Sorry? Golgotha. Yeah, it's it's basically Jerusalem. It's the Temple Mount in that area there. Abraham knew and saw the gospel, and knew it involved sacrifice. Paul says this about giving in Roman, in Corinthians eight to eight eight. See that you also excel in this grace of giving. It's grace to give. It's not compulsion, pressure. I'm not commanding you, but I want to test. There's that same word as that Abraham had. I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the generous giving of others. And then he says, look, understand the gospel. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, although he was rich, yet for your sakes became poor. So that through his poverty, you might become rich. And when we think about our giving, we can always feel there's another, this isn't the right time. You know, back in what I was saying about facts, we can always say this isn't the right time. This is not the right time for me to be giving. I I had a letter from my bank say, you've got two years to pay off your mortgage. I'm, my pension becomes, I can take my pension in four years. Time's ticking. You know, I've got a pension pot, will it pay my bills? Will I better live like I can? I've expressed some of that far too often to you, Nosey. <laughs> Nosey's not smiling. <laughs> please, please don't bring me, this into, bring me into it. But in one sense, it's not a good time for me. I could just say, well, let's just sit quiet. I could just finish my tenure here, keep my cash, go through the motions. But faith is sacrificial. It costs me. And you might say, no, it's not a time for me. I'm just buying a house. I've just bought a house. I'm just send my kids to school. I've just got this. I've just got that. It's time to, it's time to do this. Or I've got to do that. Or I've just spent money extending my house. Or I've just done. There's never a right time. I'm sending my kids to university. It's not a right time kids are getting married, it's not the right time. My kids are having kids, it's not the right time. It's never a right time. It's a crisis, credit crunch, crisis. Cost of energy. It's not the right time, is it? Sit down, Howard. it's not the right time. It's never the right time. But faith is sacrificial. We understand the gospel. We me finish with this long quote from Tim Keller and then I'm going to get Tom to come up and face the facts. Well done, Tom. <laughs> this is Tim Keller. He's referencing 2 Corinthians 8, 8 and he's also talking about the Sermon on the Mount. I've quoted this to you before. Jesus gave up all his treasure in heaven in order to make you his treasure possession. And then he says, when, when you truly see the gospel... You will give all you have to make him your treasure. Jesus says on the Sermon on the Mount, you can't have it t- both ways. You can't serve two masters. Keller goes on, we, this is a powerful phrase, we need to have a cross in our finances. How do we know, he says, if there's a cross in our economic life? For the people listening to Jesus on the mountain... The measure was the tithe. Give away 10% of your total income to God's work. Keller says that's a good way to see if the gospel is working, to give you an undivided heart. Keller goes on. For most of us, 10% will require sacrifice. It will be hard. 10% will mean there is a cross in our financial life. But for many, 10% won't require a sacrifice. The reality is... 10% isn't the standard. So we don't teach the rule of tithing in this church. 10% isn't the standard. Say it with me. The cross is the standard. The cross is the standard. If Jesus was tithing his blood, you'd still be lost. Jesus went way past the tithe, said Keller. If Jesus is your treasure, you'll be giving your money away, joyfully, gladly. Sacrificially. Father, we just pray, give us faith. Give us faith in this moment. We say we hold the building tightly but lightly because we want you to do your work in us to free us from the idols of this culture, from the worries of this culture, from the unbelief of this culture and make us a people who face the facts and believe you, make a people who are sacrificial, make a people who go beyond, who join in this confident adventure even though we don't know where we're going. We say, God, pour faith into us in Jesus' name. Right, Tom, why don't you come up with face facts? I've got some slides. I've got the slides here for you. I
0: know this is long, but it's all good stuff, I hope. Great. Facing the facts where the rubber hits the road. So uh, <laughs> I've hope, hopefully simplified this um, so that people can follow it easily. They can see what it means for us as a family, um, what God's calling us to do. Um, so if i got the first slide up, so as Howard said, the building's on for $750,000. Um, obviously, like when you buy any property, we want to try and get a bit of a deal on that, so it'd be nice to be able to offer lower than what they're asking. Um, so I've done a couple of scenarios of what that might kind of look like. So if we're offered here on this first example of $675,000, we would be looking at a, a bank loan from the Kingdom, Kingdom Bank for 465750 um, and basically that sixty nine percent is the loan value so there 'd be lenders sixty nine percent value of the property um, and that'd be a five point two percent interest uh, and then working that through we 'd have a remaining balance of two hundred and nine we already have fifty thousand in our vision fund that we 've been saving towards us um, so it 'd leave us a deposit to raise of one hundred and fifty nine thousand two hundred and fifty um, obviously on the back of that we 're going to have mortgage payments so there 's going to be uh, 20% increase needed in our monthly giving as well so there's kind of two asks in that in terms of there's a, there's a lump sum so you're thinking ouch and then there's a monthly thing and you're thinking ouch <laughs> as well so God, God wants to get you twice um, so there's a, there's a little hopefully this will make it a little bit more understandable um, so if you track the colours across sorry I missed it I'm great, I'm great that's okay so we've got people, people on the left-hand side. So I'll work through the bottom one. So bottom one, if you had five people giving £10,000, you then get £12,500 on the gift aid. So we get 25p in every pound from the government, which is great. And that would work across to 62500 Now you can kind of track those across the difference amounts, £5,000, et cetera. Um, so my personal challenge to you on that would be you look at one of those figures and you think, yeah, I can do that, I feel comfortable, You know, I can give give a thousand pounds, that won't hurt me too much. My encouragement to you is go to the next one up, you know if that makes you feel a little bit uncomfortable, if, that, if there's a cost in that, if you're going to have to say okay, I'm not going to be able to go on holiday next year, or I'm not going to be able to upgrade the car this year, that's, where, that's the space that God wants you in, so that would be my personal challenge here on that uh, and then the next slide obviously if we end up having to pay slightly more at 725 you can kind of see how that kind of plays out on there gives us a slightly higher deposit we're going to need 174,000 there and a 26% increase in our monthly giving as well so obviously the bigger deposit we can raise the easier it will make us make for us in the long term Um, and then I just did one more that tracks across again because it's not a massive increase in terms of the amount of people that have to give in terms of reaching that figure there and kind of track that across if people want copies of these charts to see I can Send an email with them on, and they can look at it later. And then the next one, Eleanor. So this here, if we um, borrow less than 60% from Kingdom Bank, suddenly the interest rate comes down. So it's come down from 5.2% to about 3.5%. Um, so that just, if you can see down the bottom, that just decreases our monthly given increase um, down to under 2,000 pounds. It's a 17% increase um, at about a 250,000-pound deposit on that, so it's just uh, just interesting to see the less we borrow, the better rate that we get. Um, and then, obviously, on top of that, we got purchase costs. As Howard said in his preach, um, we don't have to pay VAT, which is great. That's a real real sense of God's fingerprints on that. Um, normally, there'd be a stamp duty tax if you're buying this as a business. Because um, we're a charity, we get full relief on that, so saved twenty-five thousand on that. Um, And then we estimate, obviously, if you've ever bought a house before, you've got the usual solicitors' surveys, mortgage fees, et cetera. So we estimate that to be about four and a half thousand. And finally, on that, we've got running costs once we're in the building. Um, So we've got the rates there. Uh, We automatically get 80% charity relief on that because we're a charity. We can apply for 400% relief on that. So that's why that's got a question mark. So we'd hope to get that to zero. Uh, and then you can kind of track down the, the different elements of obviously in the building, insurances, repairs and maintenance, utilities, um, monthly costs. But we currently pay out about £700 a month in our midweek rental costs. So that would kind of balance out in terms of the running costs, in terms of what we're saving there. So basically, in, in, in summary, there you can kind of see this is a deposit that we're looking looking to raise. Somewhere between 125,000 and 180,000. Increased giving between two and 3,000. Um, and obviously, we, we're giving options. So you can obviously give money straight into this, um, and you, or you can give a little bit and you can pledge a little bit. Depends on how you want to do it. Um, we realize that people might not have money currently in their accounts, so they might have to draw from savings or, or whatever. So we're happy for you to pledge. Um, we won't be expecting to redeem those pledges if we don't get the building. That's right, isn't it? Yeah. Um, but you might, if we don't get the building, you might still choose to give some into the Vision Fund. Um, it's not If it's not this building, then it'll be, be another. Um, so my personal encouragement to you is obviously you look at those and you think, wow, they're big numbers. How on earth are we going to raise that money? And that's where faith comes in, isn't it? And I think my personal challenge is that I don't want this to feel like an arm-behind-the-back moment. I want there to be joy in this. So I just encourage you, you know, as you go home, print your bank statement off or bring your bank statement up on your computer, and I I just really want you to kind of pray into this and say, is is there a cross-shaped in my finances? You know, as I look at my finances, where am I spending most of my money? Because that's where your heart is. Where you spend the most money, that's where your heart's going to be at. Um... And just really encourage you, we want to be on this journey together. We don't just want a few given into this. This is about the journey. It's not about getting the end venue. That's just, that's just a tool that we can use, but it's about a journey that God wants to bring this church on, And I feel really stirred in that that God wants to change hearts in this. And, you know and it's, they often say the last thing to convert is a man's wallet, and that is so true. So you know we, <laughs> we want deep pockets, but we want big hands as well, don't we? We want to be given joyfully. God loves a cheerful giver. We don't want to be giving reluctantly. So, You know, if you don't want to give with a cheerful heart, I don't care if you just don't give. You know, that's that, that's the challenge, you know. We're not here begging for money this morning. We're not here pulling your arm behind your back. We're saying this is an opportunity and a journey to go on to increase your faith in God. We're dependent on God for this to happen, but he wants to use us in the process. There uh, should be a form at the end of the so this is a giving form, so this will be emailed out so you can have a copy and th- you can also pick up a copy from the door as well if you want a, a paper one. So it's going to be over the next couple of weeks. You're have opportunity to fill this out. Obviously, we get a massive amount back in gift aid. Um, so as long as you're a taxpayer and you're paying over the, what is it, the basic threshold of tax, we can claim back 25p in every pound. So just uh, encourage you to fill that out for the gift aid as well. Okay.
1: Yeah, so you need to have paid enough tax. So if you give 10,000 pounds or 20,000 pounds, you need to have paid at least 10,000 or 20,000 pounds of tax. Okay, so, right. Don't feel that facing the facts is is now I've robbed you of that faith, Mum and is. We haven't. They're the the, the two. And so what we're going to do now is we're going to break bread. And we're going to remember that Jesus (laughs) gave it all for us. Then we're going to take some time to worship him because it is about him. And then um, we're probably going to get a chance to pray, maybe for the nation because of the situation with the death of the queen, but also get a chance to pray for this. How that works out, I'll just try and take the temperature of the room, me and Tom between us, know me. Is that okay? So why don't you stand with me? Let's just be quiet again. Let's just focus on Jesus.